Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians 6. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, I thank you for allowing us to gather freely to still carry our Bibles. We worshiped you in song. We worshiped you with our finances. And Father, we're going to continue our worship of you by opening our ears to truly hear, not just hear, but to truly listen, that we might allow your Holy Spirit to transform our hearts. I'd say for most of us, Father, we don't need another Bible study. We need heart transformation through a Bible study. So that's our prayer, Lord. I pray for the gift of teaching and that you will continue to be glorified in and through our lives, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you weren't here last week, you can get the CD. They're free. They're they're on the wall over there. We covered the first four verses, so we'll read our first four verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but then we'll pick it up in verse 5, the study for today. Chapter 6. Verse 1, dare any of you have a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Now again, if you're new or visiting, we're going through 1 Corinthians and we did this last week. So Paul is basically saying, I, I, I don't understand you. What are you doing? That would be our, our today's vernacular. What are you doing? It's kind of like as a kid, how many of you took a screwdriver and put it in the outlet? Did anybody else do that besides me? Yeah, what's this outlet do? No. <laughs> And I was in a house that had those little round fuses, so you couldn't reset them. So dad wasn't happy when we blew fuses because you had to go down into the basement and unscrew them and put a new one in. Not a happy camper. So, uh, but you know, then what happens? You look at him and go, what are you doing? I didn't know. But now if you do it two or three or four times, see, that's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians here because he already lived with them for a year and a half. He has already written them one letter already. Now here's 2 Corinthians in reality. And he's saying, what are you doing? What are you Christians doing? He's saying, you know better. That's what he's saying. You know better. So as we read these verses, he's, he's not getting down on them. He's trying to lift their eyes going, come on, guys, you know better. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? So there are saints and there are ain'ts. If you're an ain't, you don't have the S, which says that you're a sinner in need of a savior. I need a savior. I accept Jesus as my savior. You now become a saint. We want you to be a saint. may never ever see you again, but we want to see you in heaven. So do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? And we talked about this, we are called to judge, but how are we called to judge? Well, first we're called to look at our own lives first and make sure that we're right with God, not self-righteous, that we're right with God. And then we go to someone and ask humbly, start a conversation, go with grace, mercy, love, compassion, empathy, And reconciliation, the whole goal to going to anyone is not to prove you're right, I'm wrong, none of that nonsense. No, I'm right, you're wrong. None of that nonsense. 
but to reconcile them to God, to bring them back into right standing with God. That's the goal. So as Paul is saying this, because some people say, well, I thought you weren't supposed to judge. I thought Christians weren't supposed to judge. No. That's an unbeliever. They don't know the word of God. And even some Christians will say, you know what, we shouldn't judge. That's not right. That's not true. That's not scriptural. We're called to judge, but judge the way you want to be judged. So you want to have mercy? Show mercy. You want to have grace? Show grace. You want to have compassion? Show compassion. Okay? You guys get it. Do verse 3. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Now, these are the fallen angels. So somehow, some way, we, some people, are literally going to be judging fallen angels. Paul says it here. So we believe the word at face value. How much more things that pertain to this life? So Paul is saying, if you're going to judge the angels, they're spirit beings. So you're going to judge them spiritually. They never had flesh. They never dealt with what you dealt with in the flesh. If you're going to eventually do that in the spiritual world, don't you think you're capable of judging things in the fleshly world? Obvious answer. Rhetorical question, which means it's an obvious answer. Yes. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, to this fleshly life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? Now as we continue on our text, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? Not even one? Now guys, as Paul's writing this, he has a heart of a father. He's not beating them up. He's not mocking them or ridiculing them. But, but I'm sure as, as you have had teenagers, and the, forget the screwdriver, but there's other things that happen, and you look at them and go, why did you do that? I don't understand. That's because kids basically check their brains from 14 to 25 somewhere else. It, they leave their bodies. How many of you were teens at one time? The rest of you teenagers can look around and go, wow, they, they were just old. They're old people. They could have never been teenagers. They were teenagers. How many of you as teenagers thought you knew everything? <laughs> yeah. So it's nothing new, you teenagers. It's nothing new. Matter of fact, scientifically speaking, the frontal lobe of the male, how many of you are male? There's only one male, there's only male, and there's only female, by the way. So you males, the frontal lobe does not fully develop until you're 25 years old. That's science. So you give an 18-year-old a gun, say, go out and get him, boy. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You give a 40-year-old a gun, they're like, uh, no, bullets are coming back. I don't think so. Give it to somebody else. You finally figure it out. So as we're going through this, you want to remember that they've come out of the culture. They've come out of the world. But Paul's taught them, and Paul's just saying, come on, you're my spiritual children. Stop doing these things. You know better. You know better. Very, very important that we realize that we know better. You see, Paul knows the answer, but he asks anyways to drive home a point that there were those who would have been able to judge. There were those who were wise. They were not getting involved for some reason. And let me say this, that implementing this stuff is not fun. Been a full-time pastor for 26 years. Been gone down this road several times. Not weekly, not monthly, thank God. Very seldom, really. But it's hard to go down. It is not fun. It's not comfortable for anyone involved, including me or the other pastors or deacons or elders. It's not like we would get joy out of this stuff. We do not. It is not glamorous. We're not lifting anybody up or putting anybody down. But it is necessary for the health 
of a church body. And that's what we believe we are, a church body. And so we have to do certain things to have that health, just like you do in your own home, raising your children, your teenagers, your adult children. There are certain things, there are certain rules to have a healthy family that have to be followed or else. That's just reality. That's what we have to live by. And so even though this New Testament church had the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they were not implementing them. But let's make this really a practical. I've, I've heard of this happening on social media. Now, I don't have social media. I'm not opposed to it. I don't condemn it. But people will say things on social media that they would have never said years ago. 10, 15, 20 years ago, they would never have said the things they say now. Why? Because they would have been saying it to somebody's face. And when you have eye contact and you're standing in front of a person, it is much harder to say things than when there's miles apart and you don't see each other and you're not worried about them overreacting because you can just unfriend them. But you should be concerned about your own Christian testimony. And how am I being the light of the world, as Jesus said in my social media, how am I being the salt of the earth See, I don't do social media because I wouldn't have any friends. Because I would just be going to the scriptures. You knucklehead, here's the scripture. What is the problem? This is not that difficult. Not like Paul. I'm just, those are terms that I use on myself, so don't take offense to him. So you, if you, those of you who have social media, be very, very careful. We can read this and we can distance ourselves saying, man, those people are really goofy. Why are they doing that? Why are you doing what you're doing on social media? Be very careful. Look at yourself first. Verses 7 and 8. Now, therefore, it is already utter, utter failure for you. Oh, wait a minute. I skipped something. Verse 6. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Very important here. The saints were taking the issues before the ain'ts. And not only was this church not stepping up, they were stepping out before the heathen. You see, the unbeliever had seen their outward testimony about sexuality in chapter 5. And even the unbelievers are going, we don't even do that. You're having sex with your mother? A son's having sex with his mother or stepmother? I mean, even the world's going, man, that's gross. We don't even do that. So they saw an outward reaction, what was taking place. And now the unbeliever was seeing their inward testimony. I'm taking my brother to court. I'm not going to forgive him. I'm going to get everything that's coming to me. Don't ever pray for that. Don't ever pray you get everything you deserve. By them taking each other to court. Even though this is a New Testament church. Very unfortunate. Now verses 7 and 8. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. So you try to hold other people accountable while you're doing it yourself. That goes with what we already talked about, right? Where Jesus said, remove the speck from your own eye before you try to take the plank out of your brother's eye. So Paul is saying, you cheat, you do things wrong, and you do these things to your brethren, not just to the world, but to the believer in your midst. Let's look at Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. See, Paul here is encouraging them to take a hit and be defrauded instead of giving the heathen this type of testimony. And here on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses the same issue. 
So again, as you read the word of God, you want to read it from Genesis to Revelation. Make sure you don't pull something out of context. Matthew 5, 38 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now the disciples have to go through the debugging process. Jesus is telling us something right here about the disciples. They were programmed to think it's okay to love our neighbor, our fellow Jew specifically, and it's also okay to hate the Gentile. No, it wasn't. It wasn't in the Old Testament. It's not in the New Testament. There's two groups of people, Jew or Gentile. That's all there is, even to this day. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. So Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. You see, the world needs to see a difference between us and them. What is the difference? That the Holy Spirit has given me strength to forgive. Now, you want to take all the scriptures because sometimes we need to set up healthy boundaries. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that Christians are to be doormats and we just let people walk over us and walk over us and abuse us and walk over us. No, 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 no. Read all the scriptures. You need to have a healthy balance. But we need to learn to forgive, to pray, to love. Why? For he, God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Well, how can we relate to this today? Well, two weeks ago, the governor of Nevada asked the whole state, not Christians, he asked everyone in the whole state to pray for rain. The governor of Nevada asked everyone in the state to pray for rain. The drought is so serious, the lakes, major, major lakes, that we rely upon are literally drying up. He asked for that for the weekend. After that, the next week, he said it again. Pray for rain. They know what's going to happen. They already know because the snowpack wasn't large enough. They haven't had the rains in the spring. They already know what's going to happen. And who are the first ones to get the water cut off in California? Farmers. Who needs food? farmers. I personally believe that God is removing his protective hand from our nation and that we deserve judgment. How many hundreds of thousands of babies were were aborted, were murdered during this COVID in 2020? Six, seven, eight hundred thousand babies were murdered. That was essential when church wasn't essential, when school wasn't essential. We deserve judgment. So what does Jesus say? 
He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He also sends rain on the just and the unjust. How many Christians live in Nevada? How many unbelievers live in Nevada? California, Arizona. This is going to affect the whole Southwest, which will eventually trickle and affect a majority of the country. California produces a large amount of products for us, if you don't realize that. Matter of fact, at one point, I think about 10 years ago, they were the fifth largest economy in the world. California by itself, the fifth largest economy in the world. It rains on the just and the unjust. So as a church, we need to be aware of that and do what God is calling us to do. Verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. I actually have that highlighted, especially the do not be deceived part. Because he's going to list a partial list of sins that are taking place in our country, in our world, but have also crept into the church and are being accepted by the church, which is not good. Neither fornicators, and fornication is any sex outside of marriage, any sex, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. So there's no such thing as having an affair. You're committing adultery. Nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, Paul reminds them of something that they should have already known. The unrighteous will not inherit the things of the righteous, so why go before them? You see, the Christians at Corinth knew their position, that they were going to heaven, but they were practicing selfish, earth-fleshly principles. Practicing selfish, earthly principles. So we have to ask our hearts, am I forgiving? Am I forgetting? Am I praying for those who mock me, ridicule me? You see, they were, part- they were participating in practices that could show that a person is not even saved. Remember back in chapter 5, verse 11, Paul told them to exercise discipline on a man who is called a brother. Just because a person is called a brother or a sister doesn't necessarily mean that they are true brothers or sisters. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7 to see more specifically what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus, again, he's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. The disciples are in the very early part of the ministry. They're going to be ministering with Jesus for three, over three plus, three plus years. And Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So what's the number one will of the Father in heaven? That we would receive Jesus as our Savior, that we would acknowledge we're a sinner in need of a Savior. That's his number one thing. Everything else comes after that. So first and foremost, we have to admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. But notice what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Now this sounds a lot like church right here. Have we not prophesied in your name? So have we not talked about the Bible? Have we not taught the Bible in the name of Jesus? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done these things, they're saying to Jesus? And done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I forgot you. 
I misplaced you. I lost you. Uh, you walked away from me and I didn't bother to come get you. Uh, what does your Bible say? Never knew you. I never knew you. People have been playing church for thousands of years. Or not church, they've been playing synagogue. They've been playing religion. Whatever name you want to put on there, they've been doing it for thousands of years, punching the clock, thinking that they're going to heaven when they're not. They're not true believers. And Jesus makes it perfectly clear. Now we believe here at Calvary that once you're saved, if you're truly saved, if you truly made a heart commitment, that you're sealed until the day of redemption. You literally are saved until the day you die. You cannot lose your salvation if you're truly saved. But you're also going to show fruit of salvation. Can we make mistakes? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we're not going to stay there. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You, very important here, you who practice lawlessness. So as we look back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this list that Paul is sharing here is people who are practicing these things. Not just people that make a mistake, like you and I, we make mistakes, we can sin. This past week, all of us sinned in this room, whether we wanted to or not. He's talking about those who practice. So one of the ways to tell if a brother or sister is a true believer or not is to see the fruit after you put them out of the fellowship. So again, you need to set up healthy boundaries and read the whole word of God. We actually had a brother in a church, in our previous church, who literally, literally took tens of thousands of dollars from certain people in the church. He had a home fellowship. He talked the Christian lingo. He knew the Bible very, very well. He came to Sunday mornings. He participated in men's retreats. But he was literally stealing tens of thousands of dollars. And the only way we found out was after he left the state, the people that he hand-selected to be in his home fellowship so that he could get money from them because they were suckers, humbly came to us and said, can you help us? Kind of late, but we'll try. You see, he wasn't a brother. He was a sheep and wolf. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. And we pursued him to another state and he eventually ended up in prison doing time for what he did. So you have to know the whole word of God and you have to know when, you know, something's not right. If they would have come to us in the very beginning, we would have said, wait a minute, and we would have addressed it and that guy would have not hanged around the church because he would have known he got caught and he would have went and tried to do another church. Now, when he got out of prison, what was really interesting because we followed him, have to because he owed people restitution, he went and did the exact same thing that he did and he ended up going back to prison again. Is he a brother? (laughs) Not according to the word of God. So there's a difference between sinning and practicing a sin. You see, we're all tempted with sin, but James says there's no sin in temptation. So don't let the enemy beat you up if you're struggling with something. Don't let the enemy beat you up with the temptation. We could all be tempted. We might all be struggling with different things. It's when you start to fulfill that temptation that you've then crossed that line, and now you're in sin. Very important that you realize that. See, when th- that when a person practices these sins or other sins as well, this is not a total list of sins, obviously, that they have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, as we look at some words here, there's just some words that might offend you or bother you or think, wow, that's not, that's not nice. 
And the King James Version uh, is called effeminate. It's called abusers. In the New King James, they, tr- they change the words to read, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. Now, Paul is taking this from the Greek culture. He's not pulling this out of thin air. In Greek writings, which I'm not a Greek expert, you go figure this out yourself. There's articles you can read. But in the Greek culture, the word homosexual is the passive role or feminine role in a homosexual relationship. And again, this is not just in the Bible. This is in Greek writing. So when we think our culture and some people in our culture think, hey, we're new and this is all new and hey, we're on the cutting edge. No, you're way behind. It's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. The lie, the deception of the enemy. Very important that you realize that. Deception is intense in these days we're living in. So homosexual is the passive role or female role in a homosexual relationship. The sodomite is the active role or male role in a homosexual relationship. So this is not new. We're reading it. So it's very important that we understand this because God loves every single person as we approach 8 billion people for God so loved the world. And as a church, we're to be a hospital. We're to welcome anyone in and they are welcomed in no matter who they are, no matter what they think. We want them to come so that they can get saved and so that God can clean them up through his word. So we don't mock or ridicule or belittle or any of that nonsense. And there might be someone here this morning that you're struggling in this area. We understand. This is a very serious issue. I I know some people don't want to talk about this stuff. But it's a very serious issue in our culture. The teens are being bombarded. And many times it will go back to a former sexual abuse or it will go back to pornography. They've done interviews with serial killers and several serial killers. Jeffrey Dahmer is is one I'm thinking of now. Uh, He said it started out with light pornography and it progressed and it progressed and it progressed to killing people and eating people. That's just the way it is. So we can't leave it at the church door and pretend it's not real. It's real and we want people to know we love them, we care for them, and that God has a plan and a purpose for you. He created one male, one female. That's it. So if you're struggling, please come and talk to us. We won't mock you, ridicule you, humiliate you. We'll wash you in the water of the word and we'll help you to see how God designed you the way he designed you for his glory, not for you and not for me alone. As we look back in Corinthians, verse 11, notice what he says here. And such were some of you. Isn't that amazing? God went after these people in Corinth? Are you serious? Well, God went after you, didn't he? Were you all clean when you came to him? Did you have your life all in perfect order when you came to him? No. And such were some of you, but you were washed. Three things here takes place. But you were washed, but you were sanctified. Now, this is after salvation. So you acknowledge I'm a sinner in need of a savior. What does God start to do? He starts to wash you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. This is after salvation, not prior to. 
in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Holy Spirit of our God. Notice the triunity of the Godhead there in that verse. You see, Paul reminds them of where they came from so they might have what? Humility in inviting other people in. The church is not a club where only good people can come. No, none of us would have made it otherwise. It's a hospital where we invite everyone to come in because the Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. They had been delivered from these types of sinful acts. They were washed. They were cleaned by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Here's some verses. Feel free to take a picture or write them down. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. How about sanctification? Sanctified. 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, were set apart for God in Christ Jesus, called saints, to all who are in every place, call on the name of the Lord Jesus, on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. And then lastly, justified, they were declared innocent by God. Romans eight thirty three, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now we can condemn ourselves on a regular basis. God never condemns us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Why to convict us? To bring us to reconciliation. He offers us repentance. Get right with me. I'm not condemning you. I'm convicting you. Condemnation separates. Conviction unites. Condemnation separates. Conviction unites. God wants to be united with us. Verse 12. All things are lawful for me. You know, maybe the Corinthian church had a slogan. I don't know. Maybe they did. The way they're behaving, it sounds like they did, and it sounds like this was their slogan. Hey, all things are lawful for me. And sometimes when you talk to Christians, especially when they're living together outside of marriage or doing something else that's totally unbiblically and totally obvious, they'll look at you like, hey, who are you to judge? God's okay with me, and I'm okay with God. Okay. So what you're saying is all things are lawful for you, right? But, Paul goes on to say, not all things are helpful. But all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. The Christians were twisting the truth of the gospel to justify their fleshly desires. And that's still happening today, unfortunately. I will not allow my freedom... Paul says, to bring me into bondage. What might that look like today? Well, I just came up with one example, pitiful as it is. How about smoking? Are you free to smoke as a Christian? Absolutely. You want to smoke? You can smoke. Yet, when I do take up that habit, I find that I no longer have control over the cigarettes, but the cigarettes now have control over me. I have to have one or I get shaky or nervous. My body reacts to the unnatural stimulus and now I'm what the world calls, what the world calls, hooked or addicted. And that's interesting in and of itself that the world calls it hooked when they're supposedly free to do it. To be brought under the power, it means to control. John 8.34 says this, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, 
Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. So again, if we read one verse, we can jump to conclusions. That's why you want to read the whole Bible. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever practices sin, whoever practices sin is a slave of sin, and that can even come into a Christian's life. We can never be demon-possessed, but we can become oppressed. We can become oppressed. So yes, I'm free to smoke. But this is where Paul makes a distinction between the Christian and the non-Christian. I'm free to smoke, but is smoking going to help me in my Christian walk? That's what you want to ask yourself. Is it profitable? You might want to go home if you're having an issue with this. Again, there's no condemnation. Maybe the Holy Spirit wants to convict you. And do a little research on how many people die per year from tobacco and secondhand smoke. Your eyes will be open, and it might help you cure the problem. But let's not leave it at that. We need to ask ourselves these simple questions often about maybe R-rated movies, which nowadays R-rated movies aren't R-rated movies, are they? They're basically X-rated movies. How about secular music? Ooh, touching some toes, stepping on some toes now. How about secular music? What do you listen to? What music do you listen to? What are you putting in? Garbage in, garbage out. Gambling, drinking. Is it okay for Christians to drink? Scripturally, yes. But you want to read the whole counsel of God. And is God, have you prayed to God about your drink? Are you saying to God, hey God, this bud's for you. And is he saying, great, okay, you're all right with that. You've got to ask God for that. Medicinal marijuana. How about abusing prescription medications? You see, we could list all kinds of sins, and then what Paul listed here is just a partial list. So we don't want to zero in on one group or one sin, and, and then we can easily go, well, I'm all excused because that's not me. No. Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. All things, again, verse 12, all things are lawful for me. Social media is lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. (laughs) Watching the news, I can watch the news, but it might not be helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now he makes this point, food's for the stomach and stomach's for food, but God will destroy it and them. So what's going to happen? Our bodies are going to be destroyed We're not going to be eating this earthly food. We're not going to have need for it like we do now. And so he's just making that point. Don't get caught up in the flesh because now he's going to step into a new area. He's going from court to sexual immorality. Now the body is not for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Very important. Food is a necessary part of life. How many of you like food? Anybody like food? Amen. The rest of you are liars. <laughs> and liars go to hell, just so you know. <laughs> How many of you, you need food. We need food. We have to have food or we'll die. Uh, how many of you like to sleep? Anybody like to sleep? I like to sleep. Do you all get enough sleep? Uh, no, but that's real. That's just life. Um, how many of you like to breathe? Everybody like to breathe? When I was young, my brothers would take my legs, lift me up in the pool, and waterboard me. You know how you do that? You, you arch their back and, and the little kid is flailing and he can't. <gasps> Are you okay? No. <laughs> but they were having fun. <laughs> Breathing is kind of fun. Yeah, it's important. Sex? Absolutely. In the context of marriage, 
Sex is absolutely wonderful. It's for procreation. And as I share with the junior hires, you know, the fireplace, it's great to have a fire. You keep the wood in the fireplace. You bring the wood out onto the carpet, you're going to burn the house down. Sex within marriage is fantastic. God designed it that way. But Satan always takes and misrepresents what it's all about. He wants to make filthy what God has made pure. So we have to be aware of this to make sure that we don't allow our freedom to bring us into bondage. And God has both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. It's a fact. We're going to be raised one day when this life is over. Everything about our fleshly existence will be burned up. Praise God. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot, a whore, a prostitute? What does Paul say? Certainly not. So, you know, Calvary's been accused and and some other churches have been accused of sloppy grace. Oh, you just teach so much grace, so much grace, so much grace that people just go out and sin because you just teach so much grace. That's a bunch of bull. (laughs) BS, Bible study. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Paul does not endorse that anywhere, anywhere. He's saying it right here. Certainly not. No, don't do that. Come on. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? So, unmarried people, men, you young men, or even an older single man, do not have sex with a woman. You are making her a harlot, a prostitute. Ladies, do not let a man make you a prostitute or a harlot. Read the scriptures. Or do you not know that he he who is joined to the harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. You see, sexual intimacy is not just physical, but it also incorporates the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspect of a person. Ray, you want to throw up that slide? Sexual intimacy is not just physical, but it also incorporates the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspect of a person. As we've often seen in the scriptures, God makes the two become one. So again, sexual intimacy is a bond that should only be reserved for marriage. When it takes place outside of marriage, it will emotionally scar a person, a part of that person's soul. He, verse 17, who is joined to, to the Lord is one spirit with him. Verse 18, because of this, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does or woman does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Again, I'm going to be repetitious, but this is what Paul is doing. When a person commits fornication or when a person commits adultery, They do something that nothing else does in the spirit realm, and Paul is warning the Corinthians about that. There's a mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical oneness that takes place between two people. Please remember that. No such thing as having an affair. It's adultery. Verse 19 and 20 as we wrap it up. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? 
We already talked about that. You've been bought with a price. Well, I'm I'm sorry, we're going to read that more. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Paul wraps up this section of his teaching by bringing them back to the view of their newfound Christian roots. They're no longer their own. They've been bought. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as the team comes up. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, so you can't buy your way into heaven, you can't punch the clock enough, from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, so those who have gone before us who are religious and taught us as young people will just be a Mormon, just be a Muslim, just be an atheist, just be whatever you want to be. No, 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 no. We need to be Christians. We need to know Jesus as our Savior. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We'll wrap it up with Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses that you're very familiar with. You probably have them memorized. But just because we memorize them doesn't mean we always implement them and we need to have a reminder. We need to have a regular reminder and that's why I encourage you to do a daily devotion from Genesis to Revelation reading chapters, chapters every single day. Romans 12, 1 says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, notice this, your reasonable service. It's just reasonable. I mean, is God asking too much of us to be available for him? It's just reasonable. But so often we get afraid like he's going to send us to Africa. You know, that's deception. God's not going to ask you to do anything bizarre, anything weird. And if he asks you to do something like go to Africa, he's going to put it in your heart and you're going to, want, you're going to run to Africa. You're going to want to be there with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Talk to missionaries. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world. Here is verse for you and I as individuals, but also as a church. As the church is being told we need to accept homosexuality, we need to endorse it, we need to hire them, We need to marry them. We need to ordain them. No, 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 no. We love them. We love them, yes. But we cannot condone their lifestyle. Just like you would not condone a lifestyle of mine if I was into pornography. Would you condone that? Anybody here condone that? Yeah, I don't see any hands going up. No, you wouldn't. So there's no difference. We cannot condone sin in our lives. So we're not picking on one group of people. We're looking at the world and we're looking at the church, who the church is supposed to be. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does Paul say? And such were some of you. You were that way. But now you're saved. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit and he'll help you get over that. And it may take a season, but you will get over that. You will be transformed into that person that God really wants you to be, that woman, that man. And that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Look at that right there. You young people, especially young people, this is so vital. As I was a young person once. Hard to believe, but I was a young person once. And a 26-year-old man kept telling me, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. He hammered that into me, and that's why I hammered it into your brains. Because how do I know what is good? How do I know what is acceptable? How do I know what the perfect will of God is if I'm not in the manual? 
Then it just changes depending on the culture, like it's happening today, and it's creeping into the church and infecting the church. Where many in the church, not this church, but many in Big C church, I firmly believe the Lord's going to say, I never knew you. Why? They're not in the Bible. They've set the Bible aside. That's not the will of God. We're going to stay in the will of God and seek out the true things, the lovely things, the pure things, the good things, the acceptable, that we might be in the perfect will of God as individuals, as families, as a church body. Father, we thank you and praise you that you didn't leave us orphans and you didn't leave us without a manual so that we'd have to struggle to figure out, is this right, is that right, I don't understand. You made it all perfectly clear. What is right, what is wrong, and how we as individuals can lead healthy lives. God, you're not a cosmic killjoy. You just want to keep us safe, as any good parent wants to do with their children. You want to keep us safe. There's so many dangers out there. So, Lord, help us to remember that, to be in your word, to have healthy relationships, to put up maybe safe boundaries so that we don't have unhealthy relationships. It's all in there, Lord, so help us to be in there that we might understand what the good and acceptable and perfect will of you is for our lives. You're such a good God. You want the best for us. Help us to submit to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Thanks for coming out, guys. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We would love to pray for you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, please come up. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you're a backslidden. Maybe you're a Christian and you've been messing around and you need to come forward to confess that. You come forward. We're not going to hurt you. We're not going to do any nonsense to you. We're just going to pray with you and love on you. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be think, well, no, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Through the Holy Spirit. Yes, you can. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.